0: Welcome to Real Faith with Robbie and Beck. You're listening to Faith FM. We're yeah. stoked to have you with us, whether you're on your way home from work, or on your way home from school, or on your way to work, or just driving along in the car on a beautiful summery day. It's So beautiful. I, you told me earlier today, Beck, that it was like, "How are you loving summer?" And I was no, like, no, it's, no, spring. I- "It's spring. It's <laughs> spring. It's only spring." To
1: clarify, I said looking, ah, looking
0: I see. towards I see. summer. I see. Yeah. I see. Well, how are you enjoying this summer-like day?
1: I. I'm very much enjoying this summer-like day. On the way to the radio station this afternoon, I had a very pleasing experience. I was just driving along, looking to the side of the road, and as I looked, I was like, is that a dog? It was in suburbia. like, And I, and I was like, no. You do no. love dogs. This comes it, <laughs> up a lot. <laughs> it wasn't. If it,
0: I'd have seen a dog, I don't know how excited I would have been.
1: But it wasn't. No. It was somebody had tethered their goat in suburbia, close enough so that it could eat all of the grass, and he could like mow the lawn for them. That's
0: that so cool. It was
1: so pleasing because I was just imagining, you know, he's like, Oh, you know, Bertha, the lawn's getting long. We better truck you know, Bertie out there.
0: Well, I love <laughs> Throw it. Him out I the love front. it. If you had a pet goat, what would you name it? That is a question that all of us should consider right now. All of us. If I had a pet goat, yeah. Oh, yeah, in fact, you can even text in. You can call in at 1-800-324-843. That's 1-800-FAITH-FM. And tell us, if you were to have a pet goat, what would you name it and why? We would love to hear from you. Yes. Um, I think that, I don't know, naming a goat would be different than naming a dog, wouldn't it?
1: That's true. Yeah, it's definitely... I grew up
0: in suburbia, too, so I don't, I've, I don't know what I would name a goat. Like, I was thinking Spot, that's a bit of a dog name. Definitely. What I about Stinky? Birthday. Stinky? Because billy goats are really, really pungent.
2: Are
1: they? I've pungent? Around-
0: would like- be a good name I reckon.
1: <laughs> I've never been around Billy
3: Goats. Well,
0: you're you're not missing well, actually, you're missing a lot. The truth is you're missing probably the strongest odour that I have ever smelled. And I've wow. I've travelled to a number of countries That's that amazing. have very different cleanliness standards than Australia. Yeah,
1: yeah. We used to have a goat that lived next to us because we lived in the bush. And they, but they only had one solitary goat and it loved other animals. So it used to come over and <laughs> it climbed atop the car of some what? people that we had one time. Look, the goat didn't stay around for a very long time after that, but it did. It used to climb cars. Interesting.
0: That's hectic. I love that uh, the natural world just adjusts to whatever it is that's going on around yeah. it. That's amazing. Well, we have a great show lined up for you, to you today, but for you today, and getting my uh, my words a little mixed up there. A great show lined up for you today. In our testify segment, we're going to be hearing from a pastor named Darren Pratt who works with youth ministry and particularly with younger kids, primary age kids. And so we're going to hear from him and his story. We're excited about that. And the second reason that you should be excited about today's show is we're continuing our story of Joseph. Now, yes. if you thought last week was intense, dun, 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 get ready for it, because this week gets even more intense and not because of living in a tent. This is Integrity Singers. <laughs> Praise to the Lord Almighty.
3: Almighty the King
4: of creation. O my soul, praise him, for he is thy rock and
3: salvation. All ye who hear, now to his altar draw near.
4: Join in profanity.
3: O the Lord, who o'er all things so wondrously reigneth, shelters the under his wings, he so gently sustained. have you not seen? Your desires have been Granted in what He ordained Praise to the Lord Sing praise to the Lord Let all that is in me adore Him Sing praise to the Lord Praises before, before him. Let the Amen. Let his from his people. Let him resound and once again. Let, Let God God again. the forever
4: be adored. Let the Amen.
3: From His people again Let His praises sound Let His praises sound and His praises resound Gladly forever We'll gladly forever We'll gladly forever Adore Praises to the Lord.
0: Welcome back to Real Faith with Robbie and Beck. Before we get into our weird and wonderful world segment, just wanted to remind you that if you have any spiritual questions or questions about the Bible or God, etc., we would love to hear them so that we can explore them with you towards the end of our show for our question of the week segment. So if you'd like to do that, you can call in at 1-800-324-843. That's 1-800-FAITH-FM. Or you can text in at 0491-064-669 or message us on our Facebook page, Faith FM Australia.
1: Yes, absolutely. So, Weird and Wonderful World. I thought I would pick Egypt today. Egypt. To sort of be a So last theme. week was
0: camels. Yeah. This week was Egypt.
1: Yeah. We're going with the Joseph thing. So I think it
0: was wise. I like it. <laughs> Let's hear what you've got. I'm so excited. So there were
1: many facts about... This is ancient Egypt, by the way. So one thing, ancient Egyptians loved board games. What? So no was, way. They loved to play board games. There was one called Senet um, or Senek. I don't know how to say it. They played it for about 2,000 years or so, the Egyptians.
0: So this was like... You know, as important to them as chess is to smart people.
1: Absolutely, I like it. <laughs> um, oh, so something about the pharaohs that they had in the movies that we see and the Egyptian art—they're commonly depicted as like trim, taut, and terrific. But that was often that was not very, the case.
0: That, that was a lot of alliteration.
1: Absolutely, but it makes trim, you feel taut, good. Trim, taut, and terrific. I well like done. It. So the Egyptian, so they were
0: not actually well well manicured. Is they what had
1: you're saying. No, no, no. They had a lot of beer, wine, bread, and honey, and they had a drink they used to make out of dates as well. So they had a very sugary diet. So actually, they found um, because they had a lot of pr- preservation of the pharaohs. They found that a lot of them had a problem with diabetes, really, with tooth decay, with being overweight.
0: Really, um, that's super fascinating. Yeah. Okay, so I get what you're saying now. They they're often depicted as as muscular and athletic, yes, trim and fit, but often they they actually had lifestyle disease. Yes, and issues. so they didn't
1: really look like that.
0: Isn't that fascinating? Very
1: interesting. So
5: and you know, what's
0: interesting about that as a side note. Yeah, is that it's typically uh, uh, prior to the western the, the rise of the western world these lifestyle issues cardiovascular disease respiratory disease type 2 diabetes etc. these these were primarily the diseases of the rich and the royal Yeah. because they're lifestyle diseases and poor people in the the greater history of the world those who were not in the elite class yes. would be considered poor and would have been working in physical jobs and eating pride predominantly whole plant-based foods for the most part and working physically and active and in the sun regularly so these people were healthy and fit and they were not dying from these kinds of diseases Absolutely. but now we are dying from these diseases because we live the lifestyles yeah. of the rich and the famous it's so long true. ago
1: it's so true now i had that song going in my head the rich and the
0: famous anyway anyway so. we're gonna move on from that one
1: it's <laughs> a part of else. my
0: childhood i'd like to forget
1: Something else about ancient Egyptians is that they believed in more than 2,000 deities, so gods. They used to believe in... They had gods for, for everything. They had gods to do with danger. They had gods to do with animals, to do with chores. And they had different responsibilities, these gods, and they attributed different worship to them.
0: Isn't that fascinating? Yeah. We often attribute that, that large of a pantheon of deities to places like India, but I didn't know that there were quite so many in Egypt. Yes. It's fascinating also to consider that when Moses is being addressed by God to lead the Israelites out of Egypt, and there are 10 plagues that take place, most if not all of those plagues are addressing particular deities in their pantheon of gods in other words God is saying I am more powerful than the things that you put your trust in your superstitions yeah absolutely.
1: he wanted to be an example God mm. wanted the Israelites there to be an example to also bring spoke, their, their role was to bring from other nations and to draw people to the true God that's right and so that was something that they had in Egypt that God wanted them to do was to be a blessing to the Egyptians You, this is something I didn't know that the Egyptians invented many many things like so many Things that we use today, such as paper, pens, locks, and keys, and toothpaste. They actually toothpaste, invented really. Toothpaste. And this is one ingredient, um, one list they had. Oh,
0: please tell me. This is going to be bad. I have a it feeling. It was pretty
1: bad powdered ox hooves, ashes, burnt eggshells, and pumice. So So
0: basically, just like chew on sand and it's cleaner and going to have the same impact on your teeth.
1: (laughs) And this, but this was a better tasting recipe, probably. Better tasting. This one had rock salt, mint, dried iris flour, and grains of pepper. So that one is probably a little bit better. Just just, just
0: (laughs) think about that for a moment. One of them is ashes, chewed up horse hoof, and
1: eggshells. Eggshells. And
0: the other one is mint, flowers, salt, and pepper. Yeah, 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 yeah. I know which toothpaste I'm picking, and
1: it's interesting because they did a um a, de- a group of dentists tried them out, and so I think that they were. Definitely were either like of them effective them. at all in maintaining <laughs> Look, gum health? I don't know, but they were they were marketed that way. Um, <laughs> and one last thing that I wanted to say is that they also invented the 365. Robbie's laughing in here, just making me laugh. They also invented the 365 day calendar. Interesting. So and the 12 months. Um, that was invented in Egypt, in ancient Egypt. So those were some amazing facts from Egypt that we have today. So I want you guys to tune in uh, next week to see what we're going to be talking about. It might be something further to do with Egypt or our Joseph theme.
0: That's fascinating. I love that there's so many different things we can learn from history from these different cultures and that through them we see little glimpses of God's goodness and we also see the brokenness of humanity (laughs) in there with horse hoof toothpaste perhaps. It teaches us a lot about humanity, doesn't it? This is West King, Spin You Round.
2: Just beneath the surface, just on the other side, there is a deeper meaning, that's said, more implied. What we get from these five senses is reality but the real is really made up of what the eye can't see so learn to listen to the silence and a part of your wakes since your soul to dancing to the music that it makes just don't add the things you can't explain Everything means something, the pleasure and the pain All the alleys, all the mysteries, the brick walls and the breaks Somehow work together, there is no mistake So let it spin you around, let it lift you right
3: you me
5: Beauty. All right. Ready to go? Let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome back to the show. We uh, have come time to the Testifies part of the program. And at today's guest, we have got Pastor Darren Pratt. Welcome to the show, Darren. Awesome to be here. Now, Darren, yep. you are the Director of Children, Family and Junior Youth in yep. the North New South Wales Conference. And today you're going to be sharing a little bit of a story of how God has worked in your life.
6: Yeah, um, one time when I stared deaf in the face and lived to tell the story. Deary, deary me. <laughs> so this happened about 10 years ago. I've been a pastor, a lot of driving. Um, our conference is fairly big, um, the area of New South Wales. Um, we go from the Hawkesbury near Sydney, right up to the Tweed near Brisbane, and out to Burke and Lightning Ridge, out into the centre, so... I do about 60,000 kilometres a year in my vehicle.
5: Just a couple? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah.
6: And at that stage, I owned a Holden Astra station wagon, and it was a really, really good car. I really enjoyed the car. And on this occasion, July 10 years ago, so it's pretty cold out there, um, travelled out to Inverell, sort of to King's Plains Station. Um, We were doing minister's meetings for the weekend. And so, yeah... In July, it gets really cold in between Inverell and Glen Innes, and we went bush, and in the middle of the bush, you can Google it, there is a real huge castle. Really? Yeah, just this a King's Plains Station, is this King's Plains Historic Castle. Just this regular old castle sitting in the middle of nowhere? the middle of the bush, kangaroos and emus wandering around and whatever else, and suddenly a castle with battlements on top, and um all sorts of things um and mr I think it was mr villiers he came out of scotland wanted a little bit of home so he just decided to he on his station
5: he brought a castle
6: <laughs> he built a <laughs> castle <laughs> yeah yeah so it's got 16 bedrooms and about five or six bathrooms and oh, wow. the dungeon and the vault and all, all those sorts of things so wow. so we we're having a minister's meetings in this castle it's amazing quite
5: spectacular <laughs>
6: It, it, it blows your mind um, I think now it's a bit of a bed and breakfast or whatever else And um, yeah, um, if you Google it, you'll find it, it's there And so it was a fun weekend Right Friday night, did some presentations And then Saturday morning, I had to drive back to Glen Innes to preach So I got dressed in my best suit and whatever else And um, hopped in the car And overnight, it had rained And rained and rained. I see. Um, only out there it just rains, and they have what they call flash floods. Yes. Now, growing up on the Murray in Mildura, where I grew up, you knew a flood was coming for two weeks. You got warning, yes, a flood's at Albury, it's coming down, you get your stuff lifted and you're ready for it. Flash flood, it hits, you don't know it's coming, and it takes everything in its path. So um, I got in my car and started to drive and realised, hey, there's water over the road, but... Hey, I'm driving a Holden. I'll be okay. I'm a I'm a country lad, so I drove through the first um, crossing, and it was, it was not too deep, just up to about half up the tyres. And yep, this is fine. Um, that's three more times, I come to water over the road and hop out, check it. Yep, I can do this and drive through. Little did I know that the owner of the castle phoned and said, "Don't go out today. All roads are cut off." Flash floods—a warning. Don't go anywhere. I've already left, so no one—oh no—no one tells me. <laughs> I don't know this, and of course, out there there's no phone signal, so um, I didn't know. I kept on driving and doing my thing to get out to the road to go and preach, as good preachers do. Anyway, I came to me about seventh, six, six or seven crossings, number six, um, and bit deeper. And I looked at it and said, I actually waded into it, took my shoes and rolled up my trousers, waded in for a stick and checked the road still there and, yeah, this is fine, I can do this, I'm in a Holden. So I drove in and drove really slowly and you don't want the wave to come into your engine and flood your engine, you sort of just got to drive slowly and make a bow wave and just sort of push your way through. I got through and I was coming out the other side when... The car stopped. Oh, no. I tried to turn the key. Nothing. Tried again, and the car sort of rolled back while I was trying, back to the middle of this crossing, and, yeah, I was stuck. Oh, no. (laughs) It wasn't (laughs) going to start, and I thought, well, I'm a country lad. I'll be okay. Surely there'll be a farmer come through to feed his cows or a four-wheel drive, someone come through, and I'll just wait. So five, ten. 15, 20 minutes waiting there, no one comes, because I didn't know, but no one can get through. I checked my phone, no signal at all. Wow. So, yeah, I realised, okay, and it starts to rain. You might be in a bit
5: more of a pickle than you realise. Yep, it gets heavier
6: (laughs) and heavier and heavier rain. as I watch, over the, the hill beside me, white water begins to roll over the hill. And I realised that the flash flood that I'd heard about is coming and I am stuck right in the middle of this flash flood. Wow. So what am I going to do? Well, I'm going to stay in my car. It's a Holden. I'll be okay. Um, There was a mob of cows that were beside the barbed wire fence laughing at me, but they sort of took off and bolted when I saw this water coming and I'm left now all alone. Um, So the water begins to come up. and and rock the car a bit and it begins to run under the doors into the footwells and I realise I'm in trouble so I actually put my feet up on the seat and sit there as the water begins to buffet the car and it rises up to the base of the seat
5: so you're right in the middle of a, of a quite a, a very very sticky situation we're going to stop you right there we're going we're to go have a quick break we're going ha- to have the news and then we're going to come back and we're gonna, we're going to keep on going with this story this is this is an incredible story so far and um, I, I honestly can't wait to hear the end of it so uh, we'll be back in just a moment <laughs> Faith with Robbie and Beck. Uh, we're joined by Pastor Darren Pratt, who is telling us quite an incredible story. Now, Pastor Darren, you were just telling us how you were driving. You went to this castle, which was sounded very, very cool. Um, and then you decided to, to leave during torrential rain and flash, flood, uh, flash flooding. And um, the water had just started seeping in underneath the door and risen to the top of the seat. And um, can you tell us what uh, what happens next? What happens from there?
6: Now, I've realised that I'm going to get out of here and I need to swim for it, or else I'm going to get washed downstream, who knows where, and no one will ever find me, and who knows, I've heard of people dying in flash floods and never been found again. So all this stuff is going before my eyes. And so I take off my shoes, because they're brand new my wife said don't wreck them <laughs> so put them right up in the back of the station wagon where the highest part and by now the water's come to the base of the steering wheel and the car is starting to almost become like a boat and so I get my laptop don't want to lose my sermons and put that right up the back underneath my shoes the highest point in the car and then I climb out onto the window and out the window, yep, yep, onto the roof, and sit there in the rain. And my life flashes before me, and all these things start to come into my mind. Well, this could be it. This could be it for me. Um, I washed down through that barbed wire fence, and like a crater, and downstream, and who knows what could happen to you? Who knows? Who knows? And at that moment. It's funny, you know how you, you learn memory gems and doctrinal texts and yeah, memory yeah. verses in Sabbath school and, yeah. and J&Vs. All these verses start flashing back. And really? I realise, hey, yeah, it's worth learning those because they, they are helpful. So one comes to mind is um, the angel of the Lord encamp around those that fear him and he delivers them, and that's in Psalms. And then another text comes, and I'll read this one to you because it's one of my favourites, Isaiah 43, 2-3. to When you go through deep waters... I will be with you. When you go through rivers of difficulty, you will not drown. Wow, how perfect is that? Yeah, so, so that's what I learned as a five-year-old or six-year-old, whenever when I started Adventurers, yeah. and now it's flashing through me as a 45-year-old. And um, I say, okay, the car is now moving across towards the barbed wire fence. And I realize there's time for me to make a swim for it. It's now or never. And I'm, I'm quite calm I'm quite calm And I say a prayer And it goes like this Okay God If this is it Make it quick And painless But if I survive I will do my job Tell boys and girls about you And your saving grace So it's up to you God um, whichever way we want to go Then I think of my wife and my kids And think well they'll be okay they've got life insurance on me, and so they'll be millionaires. <laughs> and then it hits me that I'll be okay because I have life insurance in heaven. Indeed. So I'm going to be okay, whichever way this goes. Then I take a run across my car and I dive out as far as I can. And where I land, it's right on the edge of the road where the grader goes through and pushes up the dirt on these dirt tracks. So I'm able to dig my feet in and with all my force... Push my way through that water, and I make it out to the edge. Wow! I pray a prayer of thanks. Then I run. I run like Forrest Gump (laughs) all the way back six kilometres to the castle because it's two or three degrees. I'm soaked in my suit. I've got to keep warm, so I run to keep warm. I walk
5: barefoot during this too.
6: (laughs) Barefoot. That's right. I walk in dripping wet like a drowned rat where the pastors are having their Sabbath school just as they're doing the mission story. They hold a committee meeting. They abandon Sabbath school <laughs> hopping their four-wheel drives and we all drive back to find Pastor Darren's car. We arrive back there and the car's now against the fence. So a couple of the Braver pastors weighed out because the, the flash flood goes as fast as it comes. The main water's gone. It's just back to what it was which is drivable. So they weigh it out Snatch the car, get the rope on, and we tow it back to the castle. Then I open the doors, and the real miracle occurs. Because that moment, I had boxes on the back of my seat yeah. for the pastors. One had posters in it, a picture of Jesus, yeah. and it said, Christ is the head of this house, Indeed. the unseen guest every meal, the silence to every conversation, in a box. Now remember, the, the water's come up to the top of the seat. I can see the watermark. Where it's come up, it's covered those boxes on the back seat. Not one poster was wet. Wow. Beside it had some books to give to the pastors. Think Orange was called. What happens when the church and family come together? A copy for every pastor. Not one of those got wet. And beside it, on the back seat, not even a box, just sitting on the seat, was my Bible, NIV Study Minister's Bible, um, gold edging. I picked it up, and everything else in my car was wet, by the way, in the station wagon. My computer survived. It was up in the highest spot. And the shoes? And the shoes. (laughs) But on the back seat that should have been covered was his Bible, and um, it's got gold lettering, and there's just one little drop mark that runs down the gold lettering like it's saying to me, God was here. And um, I treasure that Bible now. Because it, sh- it was covered in water, it should have been destroyed. But God knows that I'm on his mission. I'm doing his work to his glory, to his honour, to his praise. And his gear for ministry was preserved. The car was written off, but I'm okay. I live to tell the story and I t- still tell that story wherever I go
5: amen i've i've got shivers i really do and that oh, wow that is i don't know what to say i don't know what to say what a testimony yeah what that is such an incredibly powerful story of how god can work in not only your life but everyone's life and it's i'm, I'm speechless i really am
6: <laughs> what, what i what i what i say is the takeaway points yeah yeah put god number one in all your, all your life whatever you do um and whether it's good or bad, whatever happens to you, he'll sort it. Number two, learn those memory gems because you never know when Absolutely. you're going <laughs> to need them. And number three, don't drive through water over roads. <laughs>
5: Indeed. Indeed. Well, Pastor Darren, thank you very, very much for for joining us. And um, I, I don't know what else to say. I really don't. I'm just, I'm left for, I'm, I'm, I'm left speechless. Coming up next, we've got Janine Orwa. And quite fittingly, she's going to be singing Rain.
0: Welcome back to Real Faith with Robbie and Beck. We're stoked to have you with us. We have now come to my favorite portion of the show. There are a lot of parts that are almost favorite. Like, there's a lot of great parts of the show. But my favorite part is the actual Bible study. So we're about to jump into Genesis chapter 39 for section 2 of our... Story of Joseph. Now, if you've got any Bible questions and you'd like to call in with those, we'd love to hear from you for our question of the week segment later, and you can do so by calling 1-800-324-843, that's 1-800-FAITH-FM, or texting in at 491 64 or hitting us up on our Facebook page, FAITH-FM Australia. So last week, we ended on a bit of a cliffhanger. Yes. Young Joseph, 17 years old, came... To look for his brothers, they plotted to kill him. One of them talked him out of it, said, throw him in a hole instead. And then he was sold as a slave to a tribe of Ishmaelites who are distant relatives to these people. Yeah. And uh, that's where we left off, taken as a slave. So let's find out what happens next in Joseph's story. Hopefully it gets better, but we're going to find out if maybe it gets worse before it gets better. I don't know. I don't know. We'll have to hang on and find out. You don't know. Oh, well, maybe I do. I don't know. <laughs> trying to build suspense I'm here, back. I'm All sorry. All right. Let's read from Genesis <laughs> chapter 39. Let's read verse 1 through 6.
1: Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard, an Egyptian, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him down there. The Lord was with Joseph, and he was a successful man, and he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. And his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord made all he did to prosper in his hand. So Joseph found favor in his sight and served him. Then he made him overseer of his house and all that he had put under his authority. So it was from the time that he had made him overseer of his house and all that he had, that the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. And the blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in the house and in the field. Thus he left all that he had in Joseph's hand, and he did not know what he had except for the bread which he ate. Verse, oh,
3: oh,
0: oh, you've, now, you've I'm missed quite sorry, I'm keep, sorry. Keep reading verse, there verse was 6, an sorry, there was a pause there.
1: <laughs> Now, Joseph was handsome in form and appearance.
0: All right, there we go. I just didn't want to miss that because that comes in quite important in this next segment. Okay, so what's going on here? Joseph has been sold as a slave, and where does he arrive?
1: So he arrives basically in the slave trading place, I would say, in Egypt. And Potiphar, who is um, very high up in Egyptian society, has looked at Joseph, decided he's quite a good slave. He looks like he's got the goods. And he says, I'm going to take him to be a slave in my house.
0: All right. So imagine if if this was me, I'm going to be honest here. If this was me and I'd been taken as a slave, I think I would probably have a pretty rebellious, angry disposition. That's just based on my own observation of my own personality over the last 30-odd years. right? So think about this. You're put in that position. Are you going to work hard? Are you going to be faithful? Are you going to be productive? Your whole family is incredibly dysfunctional, and the dysfunction of your family has led you to this place where you no longer have the freedom to do any of the things that you as a human being ought to have the freedom to do. You're sold as a slave. You're working for a high-up person under this foreign leader. And what are you gonna do?
1: Yeah, I feel like it would be incredibly difficult. I mean, honestly, you're saying his family's dysfunctional. They are dysfunctional. They don't even love him. Like, if you think, I think, okay, the only ones who love him probably are his mum and his dad, maybe his little brother. But all of his brothers don't love him. Like, so he probably has he wants to be at home, but has very little tie emotionally to those people. And I think you're right. Like, he's grown up in in a position where he knows about the God of his fathers and now he's probably in a position where he's like mm, god doesn't seem to be looking after me.
0: You know, there's a there's a time that comes in many people's lives where they have grown up in a context, perhaps a church context where they have they have seen an experience of their parents' religion. Perhaps their parents have a faith in god, a faith in christ, yeah. but it's not really their faith. And often when people come to this experience where they they've seen their parents' faith They've participated in that to some extent as a young person. They come to a point where they experience great difficulty in their life, or they see the challenges, the hypocrisy of their, of their family, which Joseph clearly would have been seeing, and they arrive at a difficult position like this. And at this point, most people choose to walk away. They lose faith in this God. But what's amazing about Joseph in this story is is that at this point in his life, he gives God an opportunity.
1: Yeah, the opposite he, happens. That's
0: right. He gives God a chance. And through giving God a chance and and continuing to live in the ways that he had learned were the ways of God. Not because Joseph's perfect, not because Joseph's anything great, but just because, I mean, what else you got? You got two choices. Either walk away or give it one last shot. And so Joseph gives it this shot. And it's amazing that God actually takes care of and provides for him in this context, and it says that everything that Joseph put his hand to was blessed.
1: Yeah, amen.
0: And there's a lesson in this for us, I think, and that's that God's blessing is often just in doing what God says to do. It's not like God has to supernaturally come down and either give you blessing or not give you blessing. You know, God's ways are clear from Scripture and when we follow God's ethics, when we have integrity, typically the blessing just comes out of the fact that we've had integrity, that we've worked hard. Like, there's blessing in and of that itself. And so he does this, and God blesses him. Yeah. And this is beautiful. It's He blesses him so much. Now, this is not like what I would call the prosperity gospel, that if you just do what God says, then all of a sudden you're going to be rich and wealthy and healthy. Well, obviously not, because he's doing what God says, and God's blessing him, but he is a slave. So... God blesses him in the midst of this, and brings about these amazing results to the point that Potiphar sees that this young man, who believes in this this God called Yahweh, this Jehovah, whatever name, however we want to translate it into English, the Lord, he sees how he has integrity and a work ethic, and that even though he's a slave, he continues to do the right thing.
7: Yeah,
0: he's not willing to sacrifice his integrity because of his destitution. And it's amazing because at this point, uh, I think there's an incredibly important thing to remember. The dysfunction of your family does not have to determine your future. And I think that's important enough to say it again. Let me say it again. The dysfunction of your family and your past does not have to determine the direction of your future. And Joseph doesn't let that be the case. Joseph comes from this place of dysfunction, but he continues to seek for God, and God blesses him in the midst of this, But does that mean there's no more challenges? No. Definitely not. Now, before we go on, what was that last line that it said about Joseph?
1: (laughs) See, I thought this was in the next verse, but it says, Joseph was handsome in form and appearance.
0: Now this is crazy, right? So it says that just before, it says that Potiphar, who was the slave owner, it says that he trusted Joseph so much that he didn't even worry about where his bread came from. He just trusted everything to Joseph. Joseph was given full reign and privilege in his house, authority over everyone else. He trusted him that much. And it says here that Joseph was handsome in form and healthy and young. And let's find out what happens next. Let's keep reading.
1: And it came to pass after these things that his master's wife cast longing eyes on Joseph and she said, lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, look, my master does not know what is with me in the house and he has committed all that he has to my hand. There is no one greater in this house than I, nor has he kept back anything from me but you, because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God?
0: All right, let's pause there. So what's happening here? Yeah, basic- Without being too graphic.
1: <laughs> basically, Potiphar's wife is trying to seduce Joseph. She sees that he's handsome and good-looking. Um, she's a woman of authority. She probably thought that he wouldn't say no, he's a slave. And yeah, she's trying to seduce him. And basically, Joseph says, no, it would be a sin. And he doesn't even just say it would be a sin against your husband. He said, how can I do this to your husband? But also, it would be a sin against God.
0: Now think about this. As a young man taken away as a slave, this would be a big temptation, Right. He's got nobody. He's got no no family, he's got no connection, he's got no wife. He's at he's at an age where they would have been marrying at that time, you know, being a teenager, lots of hormones going on. I don't think that she would have been an unattractive woman considering she was in the elite class of these Egyptians, right? So here he has this opportunity before him to to do something that would indulge his his fleshly desires. And he would probably get away with it without anyone ever knowing. Mm-hmm. But he holds to his integrity. He says, no, 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 no. I can't do that. Look, everybody, everybody in this house has been put under my charge. I've been given this, this place. And he says, beyond that, I can't, I can't sin against my God and do this. This is, this is not okay. Mm. I'm not willing to throw away my integrity for a moment of pleasure. And this is astounding to me. This, is, this makes Joseph a hero in my eyes because he's willing to withstand to these things to be faithful to God. It's a beautiful thing. Now, what happens next? Is it just a one-off? We're going to find out when we come back from the break. This is Cademan's call, God of Wonders.
2: Lord of all creation Oh, water earth The heavens are your tabernacle. Glory to the Lord on high. God who wanders beyond our galaxy, You are holy, holy. The universe plays Your majesty. You are holy.
0: Welcome back to Real Faith with Robbie and Beck. We are just about to jump back into Joseph, but before we do that, if you've got any Bible questions, how can they contact us?
1: Yes, we would love some questions, guys. So please call us at 1-800-324-843. That's 1-800-FAITH-FM. Or text us on 0491-064-669. I'm going to say it again, 0491-064-669. Please send us a text with your questions or hit us up on Facebook, Faith FM Australia.
0: Awesome. So let's hear what happens next. So we're up to verse 10.
1: So it was as she spoke to Joseph day by day that he did not heed her to lie with her or to be with her.
0: Okay, before we go on any further, how often did this happen? Was this a once-off?
1: No, this is every day, day by day.
0: Every day. So, you know, if you're, you know, to to turn down, for example, if you're going to turn down a temptation that's offered to you one time, that takes guts, right? Yeah. Especially if it's something that you're tempted by. To turn down that same temptation given to you over and over and over and over and over, et cetera, <laughs> ad infinitum, this is huge. Yeah. This is huge. This is, he's had opportunity after opportunity after opportunity. And the, the thing is, sometimes we have bad days and on a good day, we might not go into certain things, but on a bad day, we might fall a lot more easily. Absolutely. Certainly, Joseph would have had some bad days in which he came in, and that same temptation was proposed to him. And he maintains his integrity by the strength of the Holy Spirit, by the grace of God, he walks firm. Yeah. He holds on to that. And there's some advice in here. Go ahead, you were going to say something.
1: Yeah, something I was just thinking is that actually, um, like he stands firm, but it's to do with the decision that he's made. And you know, often it's, It's not the thing, the time, but you've made a decision. And because he's made a decision in his heart, in his mind, he's sticking to that decision. So that on those bad days, he's like, no, this is the decision. So not even just saying, oh, it's an opportunity or a possibility. If he said, I will not do this, he's sticking to that. And to me, that's integrity. And that's something to aspire
3: to.
0: Totally. And there's some other tips in here. It says also that not that not only that he did not heed or respond to her to lie with her, It says that he didn't even stay in her presence. He would not even be with her. So there's a lot of wisdom the Bible talks about in Proverbs. It says don't even go down the street of the adulteress, right? Don't even walk towards the way where the temptation is. So he sets up boundaries to help protect himself. And that's a great piece of advice. If you're struggling with any temptation, whatever that may be, whether it's connected to your computer or a substance or a relationship, etc., he says, don't even go down that path. Close the doors that put you in a space where you're going to be tempted. He says, this is wisdom. This is wisdom. This is protecting yourself. So if you struggle with, with alcohol, for example, maybe you should identify the places where that becomes an issue for you and spend some time away from those places. Yeah. Right? This is incredibly practical advice.
1: That's something that... um. Resonated with me when one of our mutual friends actually shared about his problem with alcoholism and how for a period when he was coming really out of that and he's been clean for years now but coming out of that he wouldn't go to restaurants where they served alcohol because for him at that time it was too much of a temptation. Mm. I think now he can go to those restaurants and he just doesn't have any alcohol but for him he was like I need to put this in place and so his boundary was not even going to those restaurants and I think that also sometimes for time periods we have different boundaries you know and for him that was that time and so yeah i just want to encourage any of our listeners if you're struggling with something maybe you have to put stringent things in place and ask some friends or people to hold you accountable so that you can stick to those things
0: fully fully i love that and i love that joseph cared more about his long-term goal than falling down in these these smaller things and I awesome. think
1: something that's beautiful from it as well is that in terms of his long-term goal, jo- Joseph didn't know where he was going. Like he didn't know where God was leading him. He didn't know how he would be provided for, who he would marry, where he would be living. But his long-term goal was to serve God and to do the best he could wherever he was. And I think that sometimes we don't see the future. I don't see the future for my life, you know, what's happening next year, the year after that. Um But trusting in God, you do the best you can where you are now. And that's what God calls us to do. He doesn't call us to know the end, but he calls us to be faithful.
0: Mm. Preach it, sermon. Sermon. Preacher. I don't know. That was bad. Anyway, moving on. Let's read (laughs) verse 11 onwards.
1: But it happened.
0: (laughs) I've got the giggles. Sorry. we have got the giggles going. Let's keep going. Verse 11. I'll stop laughing.
1: But it happened about this time when Joseph went into the house to do his work and none of the men of the house was inside that she caught him by his garment saying lie with me but he left his garment in her hand and fled and ran outside and so it was when she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and fled outside that she called to the men of her house and spoke to them saying see he has brought into us a Hebrew to mock us he came into me to lie with me and I cried out with a loud voice And it happened when he heard that I lifted my voice and cried out that he left his garment with me and fled and went outside. So she kept his garment with her until his master came home. Then she spoke to him with words like these, saying, The Hebrew servant whom you brought to us came in to me to mock me. So it happened as I lifted my voice and cried out that he left his garment with me and fled outside. So it was when his master heard the words which his wife spoke to him, saying, Your servant did to me after this manner that his anger was aroused. Then Joseph's master took him and put him in the prison, a place where the king's prisoners were confined. And he was there in the prison. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him mercy. And he gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison.
0: All right, let's pause there. Okay, so what's happened?
1: Yeah, it's a really um, hectic story. So she's tried again to seduce Joseph. She grabbed his garment. She grabbed his clothes. So
0: she's laid a trap out for homeboy, (laughs) right? Yes. She's literally pounced on him.
1: Yeah, and so she grabs him by his clothes and he, if it was like an outside tunic, he wriggles out of it and he runs and he flees the scene. He just wants to get away. And so she keeps hold of this clothing and then now she's embarrassed. I don't know what she's feeling, rage. So now she's laying a trap for him saying... He's tried to do exactly what I did to him, so she's saying he tried to seduce me, and so she's lied to the servants, then she's lied to her husband and
0: it's even bigger than that she's claiming that he came and attempted to rape her, right yeah, this is huge that's an accusation that will you know we we know this this is a huge accusation yeah you know this this kind of claim would would put him in a position where Potiphar whether there's evidence or not, he would be very angry, right. He would be incredibly angry. He might put Joseph to death. He might do all sorts of things. And he might ask, well, where's the evidence? Because you know, he'd seen him to have such integrity. Maybe he questions his wife. But she's holding his garment in her hand. Yeah. The garment that he wears every day.
1: And I think for me, actually, that's where I think that Potiphar knew his wife probably better. Because it says his anger was aroused, but it doesn't say necessarily against who. And it says that Joseph was... He put him in prison, but he put him in the king's prison in a higher area where he would be looked after. And if you look at the the penalties of the day, if he really believed that he had um, attacked his wife, he would have killed Joseph, but he doesn't do that. And so... To me, it really shows that, yeah, he he has questions about his wife and so he still wants to look after Joseph, but he needs to look after his wife's integrity. So in doing so, he doesn't want to kill Joseph, so he puts him in prison. He doesn't know what to do with him, so he, he puts him away. No, I
0: never thought about it that way. That's interesting. What's fascinating to me either way is that Joseph stands up for the right and he runs. And there are times yeah. where if we're going to not go down a path that's not good, it's going to require actually running away, yeah, no matter the consequences, yeah. right? And what I love about this is that Joseph flees. He knows that this kind of thing could happen, right? His garment's there, it doesn't look good, and he's, whose word's going to <laughs> carry the weight, his or, or the, the wife of the dude? And what's amazing is that God protects him in this space and upholds him, but check it out. It's not again, it's not prosperity. He's thrown into prison. Yeah,
1: absolutely. All right?
0: So here's a person who was faithful to God and he's he's sold as a slave. He's faithful to God. He's thrown into prison. And what's gonna happen next? Is he gonna give up on this God who has demonstrated faithfulness to him so far, or is he gonna hold on in the hope of this God who promises to be faithful? right? He's seen the stories. He's heard how God has been faithful to his father, to his grandfather. He would have heard the oral traditions of how God had rescued Noah through the flood. He would have had access to this information. And the question is, is he going to remain loyal to this God? Now check this out. We're going to read one more passage before the break. So let's continue from verse 22 to the end of the chapter.
1: Then Joseph's master took him and put him in the prison, a place where the king's prisoners were confined. And he was there in the prison. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him mercy. And he gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison committed to Joseph's hand all the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever they did there, it was his doing. The keeper of the prison did not look into anything that was under Joseph's authority because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it prosper.
0: So check this out, right? Sometimes God protects us and leads us in ways that wind up fantastically beautiful. Other times, other people get in the way and we wind up in difficult circumstances. But notice that in the midst of the difficult circumstance, God still blesses and prospers Joseph and puts him into a position of authority because he maintains his integrity. This is Marlita Fong, Better Than I. Welcome back to Real Faith with Robbie and Beck. We're super stoked to be continuing this Bible study with you. Hey, just a reminder, we would love to hear from you with a Bible question. This is the last opportunity to get that in before we get into that next segment after this. And you can do so by calling in at 1-800-324-843. That's 1-800-FAITH-FM. Or text us at 0491-064-669. Or hit us up on Facebook at Faith FM Australia. All right, so Joseph's just been thrown into prison and yet he maintains his integrity by God's grace in this space. And by the way, it takes God's grace to maintain your integrity when you are falsely accused and condemned multiple times, by the way, and put into these positions when you're rejected by your family, when you are doing the right thing and then you are put in jail on false claims, right? It's in these moments where It would be very easy to think, man, I should just give up on all this stuff. Where's God? And yet he continues to have faith in this God who is his Redeemer. Now, that takes grace to be able to do that, to be able to continue to to do the right thing in the midst of these kinds of challenges. So let's find out what happens in the prison. So we're now in Genesis chapter 40, and let's start with verse 1.
1: It came to pass after these things that the butler and the baker of the king of Egypt offended their lord, the king of Egypt. And Pharaoh was angry with his two officers, the chief butler and the chief baker. So he put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard in the prison, the place where Joseph was confined. And the captain of the guard charged Joseph with them and he served them. So they were in custody for a while. Then the butler and the baker of the king of Egypt, who were confined in the prison, had a dream, both of them, each man's dream in one night and each man's dream with its own interpretation. And Joseph came in to them in the morning and looked at them and saw that they were sad. So he asked Pharaoh's officers who were with him in the custody of his Lord's house, saying, Why do you look so sad today? And they said to him, We each have had a dream and there is no interpreter of it. So Joseph said to them, Do not interpretations belong to God? Tell them to me, please.
0: Awesome. Okay, so Joseph's in the prison, and he's in charge of all of the prisoners underneath him. And it says that the captain, the guard, he he didn't even ask questions. He just, Joseph demonstrated such integrity that he just left him in charge and didn't even worry about it. He's like, oh yeah, Joseph will just do the right thing because he'd seen him do it over and over and over again. Yeah. This is amazing, right? Like. I you never it, see this happen in a prison.
1: Yeah. I believe it would have taken time as well. You know, it would have taken time for this prisoner to work his way up. And he was doing the right thing consistently day by day. And by doing that, his integrity showed through and now he's in a position where he can be a blessing and i think that that's amazing because we don't know when those positions or those times will come up uh, but god has them around us so if you're in a job if you're working somewhere if you're at home in your family there are times we don't know necessarily when they will be but if you're faithful god gives opportunities so that we can share him with those around us
0: mm, totally all right so There's a couple of people in here who get thrown into prison. Apparently, the Pharaoh's not a very kind man. He seems a bit rash. He throws these two people into prison because he's not happy with the work. But both of them have had a dream, and they're troubled because they don't know what the dream means. Now, remember, this is similar to when we were looking at the book of Daniel. These people were expectant that the gods would give them dreams that would tell them details of the future. We know also that the true God does deal with dreams and a number of times in Scripture where he reveals himself in dreams to the prophets, he says. And so, Dan, not Daniel, Joseph here has said, hey, the interpretation belongs to the true God and looks at this as an opportunity to represent the, the real God, the God of Israel, to this group of people. And he says, hey, tell, tell me the dream, please, so I can see how God will interpret this.
1: Yeah, and something else I noticed with this as well is that Joseph noticed them, he knew them, and he noticed that they were sad, and he asked about them and how they were. And in caring for people, he had that opportunity. So it's also another thing to be like, man, Joseph did what he could do, but he didn't just do the menial tasks or the basic things. He actually, in his care and by asking, he learned more. And so that's just a lesson to me, to continue to care and ask people how they're going. Yeah, and so I think we're going to move on to the next part. And so we're just going to keep reading. So we've just found out Joseph said, do not interpretations belong to God. So verse nine, then the chief butler told his dream to Joseph and said to him, behold, in my dream, a vine was before me and in the vine were three branches. It was as though it budded. Its blossoms shot forth and its clusters brought forth grapes. Then Pharaoh's cup was in my hand and I took the grapes and pressed them into Pharaoh's cup and placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. And Joseph said to him, this is the interpretation of it. The three branches are three days. Now within three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your place. You will put Pharaoh's cup in his hand according to the former manner when you were his butler. But remember me when it is well with you and please show kindness to me. Make mention of me to Pharaoh and get me out of this house. For indeed, I was stolen away from the land of the Hebrews and also I have done nothing here that they should put me into the dungeon."
0: Awesome. So he interprets the dream. He says, this dream means that you're going to be restored to your position. And he says, hey, when this does take place, full confidence in what God had shown him as the interpretation, he says, when this happens, remember me. He says, because look, I was stolen. I'm a slave here. And by the way, I'm innocent. I haven't done anything. Please speak to the Pharaoh that I may be set free. And now we're going to find out what was the fate of the other man.
1: When the chief baker saw that the interpretation was good, he said to Joseph, I also was in my dream, and there were three white baskets on my head. In the uppermost basket were all kinds of baked goods for Pharaoh, and the birds ate them out of the basket on my head. So Joseph answered and said, This is the interpretation of it. The three baskets are three days. Within three days, Pharaoh will lift off your head from you and hang you on a tree, and the birds will eat your flesh from you
0: full on right like no punches held
1: <laughs> i always feel really bad for the baker i yeah. don't know what he did or what happened but i feel bad
0: yeah fully so here's the deal he's told them this is this is what the dreams mean and this is what's going to happen now if you were either of these men or anyone else who heard the story you'd be watching and paying attention Is Joseph, this man from a foreign country who's stolen as a slave, who's here on what he says are false charges, who worships this foreign God? He doesn't worship any of our gods. He worships just one God, which is weird in every civilization except for the children of Israel. And they're going to find out, like, is this God for real? And what's amazing is what happens next. So let's keep reading to the end of the chapter.
1: Now it came to pass on the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, that he made a feast for all his servants, and he lifted up the head of the chief butler and of the chief baker among his servants. Then he restored the chief butler to his butlership again, and he placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. But he hanged the chief baker, as Joseph had interpreted to them. Yet the chief butler did not remember Joseph, but forgot him.
0: Ouch, right? like So, okay, a couple things. First of all, Exactly the, sorry, what took place was exactly the same as what Joseph had foretold. Yeah. He says, this is is the interpretation. God is the one, this God, the only true God. There is no other God. He says, this God gives interpretations of dreams. And then he gives the interpretation, full confidence, three days from now, this is what's going to happen. And it happens exactly as he says. But what's the the most heartbreaking part of the story so far?
1: Oh, well, two things. One, the baker actually does die. Yeah, that's... Mo- I mean, <laughs> I we know, don't know. He no might have deserved for. it. He, he possibly could have deserved it. But two, is that they forgot. And the butler who was restored, he was so joyful. And I just think, how could he not think I'm here because of this guy? But he forgot Joseph. He left him in prison and he forgot him.
0: Yes, this is so sad. And we're going to find out next week that... It was a significant length of time before he remembered Joseph. Yeah. And this, I man, I think this is a huge lesson to us. We should not be so self-focused, so self-indulgent, and so selfish that we forget the very people that bless us. Yeah. Right? And, you know, we do this all the time. We, we often look at the blessings that God gives and then forget the giver because we're so focused on the gift. But Joseph's here, left in prison for no wrong that he has done. He's been faithful. How is God going to rectify this situation? And we're going to find that out next week. What does God do? But what's amazing to me is that Joseph continues to maintain his integrity.
1: Yeah, it's beautiful. It's something that um, is something to aspire to. I look at this story and I think, man, would I have done that? Would I have just sat in jail in the corner and had a pity party? What would I have done? Um, And I think it's such a good thing that... Joseph spent his time wisely, and, and I think, man, I want to be like that. Wherever I am, whatever I'm doing, I want to spend my time trying to do what God has called me to do and to be the kind of person he's called me to be, even if I don't see the future.
0: Yeah, it's true. It's, this, is, this is what we want, and the only way to achieve that is by close personal connection with God, because there's no way he could have survived this instance without that. This is Paul Belosh, Open the Eyes of My Heart.
7: Must live worthy lives And for the gospel Stand firm side by side
0: Hey, what time is it? What? What time is it? Oh. Question of the week. I love it. Oh, I love it. I... I don't, nobody ever responded to the poll, but we just made an executive decision to do that one. <laughs> awesome. So, welcome back to Real Faith with Robbie and Beck. It's come that time for question of the week. And we have a question from Darren. Thank you, Darren, for sending in your question. Here is the question Is there biblical confirmation for the Roman Catholic Church's claim that Mary, the mother of Jesus, was assumed into heaven? In other words, taken into heaven and that she led a sinless life. So the question is, as the Roman Catholic Church teaches that that Mary, the mother of Jesus, was assumed into heaven, she didn't, did not sin, the question is, is there any biblical basis for this? So thank you, Darren, for your question. To answer that, we're gonna go through a couple of verses. Now we could go through a lot on this, this topic, but yeah. the, the simple answer to the question is there's nowhere in the Bible that makes any of this claim. There are people in the Bible who we don't have sins that they specifically committed mentioned, but this does not mean that they were sinless. So Romans chapter 3, verse 23, is a great place to start with this. Um, Romans 3, 23 says, for all have sinned. Not just some, not everyone except for Mary. It says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And then if we come across a few chapters to Romans 6, verse 23, it says, for the wages of sin is Death. In other words, when we sin, the rightful earnings that we deserve from sin is death. So for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. So the simple answer is, Mary was a sinner just like every other person who has been born. The only sinless man to ever live was Jesus Christ, and we know that from Hebrews 9 as well as other places, Um But Mary was just another person like you or me. She was privileged. She was blessed to be the mother of Jesus. And she must have been a pretty righteous person, I imagine. But yet she was not sinless. Mm. To answer the second part of the question, it says now that all who have sinned have died. So the next question is, well, is Mary in heaven? And we're going to look at just a couple of verses to answer that question. But this could be explored in greater detail. So if you or anyone else does have greater question and would like to know more about what the Bible says happens to a person when they die, please send us a message via the the call-in numbers, um, or you can hit us up on our Facebook page, and we can contact you with information and help you with some Bible study information. But here's the short answer. In both the Old Testament and in the New Testament, the Bible is very consistent about what it says happens to a person when they die. I'm going to start with just a couple of passages from the Old Testament and then a couple from the New. Yeah. In the book of Job, chapter 14, it says in verse 10 through 12, but man dies and is laid away. Indeed, he breathes his last. And where is he? As water disappears from the sea and a river becomes parched and dries up, so man lies down and he does not rise. And then it says this interesting word. In other words, man is buried in the ground when he dies and it says, until the heavens are no more they will not awake nor be roused from their sleep isn't that interesting so it describes death as a sleep we see that consistent in the old testament and in the new we see that in john chapter 11 with lazarus for example where jesus raises him from the dead but notice it says that they will not arise until the heavens are no more that's going to come in consistent with the new testament as well Ecclesiastes nine verse five confirms this in the Old Testament it says, "For the living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing, and they have no more reward for the memory of them is forgotten also their love their hatred, their envy have now perished, never more will they have a share in anything done under the sun. There are many other verses that could be looked at in the Old Testament, but I want to flip to the New Testament to just to give a couple of quick examples. So in First Thessalonians chapter 4, Paul is writing to a group of believers in Thessalonica, or Thessalonica if you like to pronounce it that way, <laughs> and he says to them, hey, I, I don't want you to be worried or grieved in the way that the, the non-believers are grieved when someone dies. And this doesn't mean we can't be sad for losing a loved one, but he says this is the reason. In verse 16 he says, for this we say to you, by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord We will not precede those who are asleep. And by asleep, he means dead.
3: Mm.
0: Then he says, for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God. And then it says this, the dead in Christ will rise first. It says then that those who are alive when Jesus comes will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet Jesus in the air. And so we have this, this confirmation happening, the Old Testament, the New Testament, both confirming that... When we die, we stay asleep in the grave. We don't know anything, and we stay that way until the second coming of Jesus. There's one other passage uh, that's, I think, worth mentioning because it it describes this further in the New Testament because you might be asking, well, I'd, I'd like another piece of evidence, and so 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 51 through 54 gives another great example, and it says here, behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep but we shall all be changed. Now remember again, the terminology here for sleep, Paul is talking about human death in a moment. So when, when shall we be changed and how he says in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. And he then goes on to say, we have corruptible bodies that must put on incorruption in other words, we will we have sinless, or sorry, we have sinful, corrupted bodies that die, that age. He says, but when Jesus comes, the dead who put their faith in Jesus will be raised from the grave, and in a moment will be given new, glorious, sinless, perfect bodies to live with God forever. And so, there's two examples that we have, uh, or a few examples of people who have made it to heaven. Now, you might think, well, how did they get there? But it's not not because there was anything good in them but because they responded to God's faithfulness and God chose them for a select purpose. So Beck's going to tell us about those few people.
1: Yeah, so we have one... Um, person who died and then was taken to heaven after that, we find, um, which is Moses. And so it talks about that in Deuteronomy, that he dies. And then in Jude, it talks about Moses um, being fought over. So you can look that up if you want to have a so deeper Jude, Bible. So Jude verse
0: 9.
1: Jude verse 9. Um, and Moses gets then taken to heaven. And we know that because Jesus, what is called on the Mount of Transfiguration, where Jesus is transfigured, um Basically, Elijah and Moses are there with him. And so we know that Elijah also was taken straight to heaven, which we see in 2 Kings. And I was just going to read that verse. Um, in 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 11, it says, Then it happened as they continued on and talked that suddenly a chariot of fire appeared with horses of fire and separated the two of them. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. So Elijah goes into heaven. And then we actually looked at this character a few weeks ago. We have Enoch. And it says that Enoch walked with God and then Enoch was no more because God took him. He took him up to heaven. So there's only two who didn't die and went straight to heaven, and there's Moses who died, and we have his name of going to heaven. And then in the New Testament, we have a group of people who were raised um, when Jesus was raised as well.
0: Hmm. So there you have it. So the, the answer to the question, Darren, and thank you so much for calling in, is that based on the Bible, there is no basis for Mary being either sinless or for having been assumed into heaven, um, so wherever that belief is derived from, it's not derived from scripture. Um, yeah, so thank you for listening in to that. Uh, one thing that I find really powerful about about this truth is, you know, sometimes people are are challenged by this because of our presupp- presupposed ideas. But the beautiful thing is that there is there is. None of our dead loved ones are up there watching the pain and the suffering that is going on in this world, which would really be not a pleasant experience. Thank you for the question of the week. This is Fernando Ortega, All Creatures of Our God and King. All
4: Creatures of Our God and King your voice in with us sing, Hallelujah.
0: Welcome back to Real Faith with Robbie and Beck. You're listening to Faith FM. We've really enjoyed the, uh, I'm gonna speak on behalf of both of us, we've really enjoyed the Bible study today on the radio show. <laughs> I'm hoping that that's true. I certainly can say that of myself. Um, what are some of the quick takeaways that we, as we wrap this up?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think for me something was just what we've said already is that wherever Joseph was, he was a man of integrity. Wherever he was, he did the best that he could, whether he was a slave, whether he was in prison, uh, whether he was sharing with people in the prison. He wasn't just doing his duty. He was being a blessing to them. So wherever he was, he did the best that he could.
0: And I love that the way that it's described is that the Lord was with him. Amen. It says that at the beginning when he's in Potiphar's house, it says that Potiphar recognized that the Lord was with him. And then it says that he was put in charge in the prison because the Lord was with him and everything that he did prospered. And I love this because it's not its not about Joseph being some wonderful, great person, you know, like we just looked at in the question of the week. He was also a sinful man, just like you or like me. And yet the Lord was with him and blessed him and he responded to God in obedience and responded by living a life of integrity in accordance with God's plans. Now there's no way Joseph could have done that in his own strength. Like there's just no way. We we, we are born sinful, we are totally depraved, we don't have the ability to contribute any righteousness towards our salvation. He's doing this as a response to God out of God's own grace and God's power through the Holy Spirit that's working in Joseph's life. Yeah, And I love that because when I look at Joseph, I agree with you, Beck. I think here's a man to aspire to be like. And yet I look at my life and I think, how can I get there? And well, one of the answers is step by step. And the more important answer is that it's not by my strength that I will ever get there. It's only by the grace of God that we make those moves. Beautiful. It's by the Holy Spirit living in us. And I imagine that Joseph had a lot of time when he was there working in the fields, working in Potiphar's house, stranded in a prison, a lot of time to think, to pray, to probably not read, but to reflect on, remember how God had dealt with him in his past and his family's past. And I think it's an incredibly important thing for us to remember, no matter where you are, hold on to what God has done to give you hope for the future. And I really loved what what we said at the beginning, which was that your dysfunctional family and the dysfunction of your past does not have to determine the direction of your future. Amen. You can right now put your faith and your hope in Jesus and allow him to redirect your path and to bring healing in the places where you have been broken by the doing of others and by the doing of yourself. And God has plans for you. God has plans for each of you. And his desire is to lead you each step of the way and to be with you from here through eternity and to have you with him forever. So I encourage you to make that decision. May God bless you and keep you. And remember that real faith is is lived faith. faith.